The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Often, because sometimes we say things because of the warmth of that moment. And I'm not saying this is wrong, it's just the truth of our society. But what it does is, it means that when people say things that we don't always say, hey, I must take hold of that, we say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give that some space. I know that's not going to happen. They just said it out of politeness. So politeness or half-truths, exaggerations that we use, everyday terms, everything that we're really used to is part of our world, it's part of our society. And guess what? It affects the way that we live and the way that we think. Because we go around not believing what is really true. Then we come back and say, well, actually, what is true? So we looked at that. We looked also at the character of God. We tried to lay this foundation last week of God, of who he is, and we declared that God is truth. Truth is found in a person, and that person is God, and God represented him here on earth, himself on earth, through his son, Jesus Christ, the exact representation of the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, is what Jesus said. And Jesus made this declaration about himself on the earth. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. It's a most awesome statement to get hold of. Are you lost and you're not quite sure which way to go? Jesus is saying, I am the way. Do you know where you're going in life? Have you got your route mapped out? Do you understand that you're following something? Or are you just aimlessly wandering? I am the way, and what Jesus says is the truth. And as we take hold of his way and as we listen to his truth, guess what we find? We find that his life comes within us. We find life, the fullness of life. In the midst of difficulties, we can still know joy, peace, kindness, all of the fullness of what God brings. So we were looking at that and defining that God has declared himself to be truth. But we just pressed it a little bit just to make sure that we're on the right track, to make sure that we are really pressing into something that is good. And we just stopped and had a quick look. Well, what are the attributes, the characteristics of God? What is the fruit of the life of God in a person? And do we like that? Because let's face facts, there's no point in going after something if we don't like the fruit that it brings. If the results that it produces is not really what we want, then let's leave it alone. But when we look at the results of having God in our lives, what that fruit is, we find that it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I can't remember them all. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nobody here is kicking up a fuss against those things. Nobody in the whole world is kicking up a fuss against those things because they all declare this is what we want and those are the attributes of this God who is declaring himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. I'm trying to get to a point where we're saying like, this God is worthy of following. This God is worthy to give our lives to. Because even in church, we can say, well, yeah, I know that because I've done that. But it becomes a, I did it, 
And I'm now in a new place. We're talking about walking. We're talking about having a life. We're talking about entering into a relationship that goes on and on and on, that produces that fruit, that has the joy of walking with that God day by day. That's what we're looking at. And so whilst we saw that fruit, those attributes, we also noticed a number of other things that God declares of himself. He does not lie. He does not lie. He does not lie. He does not tell half-truths. He does not deceive you. He tells you what is right. Even sometimes when we don't want to hear it, he tells it straight. He tells us the truth. He does not lie. And another thing, he does not change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're talking about the same God. We're talking about the God, how he treated them. He can treat us in the same way. The God who was with Moses is the God who is with us today. The God of Elijah who called down fire is the God who is with us today. He doesn't change. So when we're looking at truth, the attributes of God, the God that we're seeking after, the God that we're making these statements about, this is who we are talking about. And having established or got to that point where we're saying God is truth, then we're also noticing this, that if he is truth, then what he says is truth. And when he speaks, he speaks not only to us, he whispers those quiet words to you. When you're on the train, when you're at the bus stop, when you're doing your cooking, when you're doing your washing, all different times, God speaks his word to you. He speaks his word of truth to you. And he has spoken his word and had it written down. And that word that is written is the Bible. This book is God's word. His word represents what he says, and and he himself is truth. This book is truth. That is the point that we want to come to. So today, the title of today's message is this, the Bible, living and active. The Bible, living and active. And if I have an aim this morning, it is this, That is to try to encourage us with this word, what is stopping us taking hold of this truth, these words, and devouring them that we might see transformation in our lives? What would stop us from doing that? If we have truly understood that the foundation of this book is God and that God is truth and that he can lead and guide us properly in our lives, then why on earth would we want not want to give ourselves to that word. I was thinking about that question, and this scripture came to mind. James 4, verse 17. You needn't turn to it, I'll just read it to you. James 4, verse 17 says this, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. That struck me, and I thought, you know, we can go around declaring, oh, this is great, this is great, and then suddenly God brings his word and says, just let me remind you. It's all very well saying so many things. Ultimately, it's what we hear and what we then do with that hearing that really matters. And we can go around and we can be proclaiming, oh, I believe that God's word is truth. And I'm saying this of myself. I can be declaring it, but ultimately, am I living according to his word? Am I receiving his word into my life? We briefly saw last week how that so often in our society, as Paul proclaimed to the Romans, that there is an ability to suppress the truth. 
suppress the truth. It says people suppress the truth by their wickedness and that they can exchange the truth or they do exchange the truth and we would rather believe lies and deceit that the enemy is sowing than we would believe the word of God. That is the tragic atmosphere, world, environment that we are living in. And that's not just the they are living in, it's what we are living in. This is the world that we live in. God spoke to the Israelites when they were, and he took them into the desert. And when he took them into the desert, having come out of Egypt, they went into the desert. They got there and they discovered that we've got no food, we've got no provision, we don't know where we're going. But God led them. He led them by a pillar, a cloud, a pillar of cloud. And in that pillar of cloud, there was fire at night. So if they had to move at night, they could see where they were going. But if they had to move during the day, they could see the cloud itself. And God would guide them. God guided them. But it says that God caused them to hunger, and then he fed them manna. And he did this to humble them. Because God wanted to show them, look, the trouble is you're so full of your own resources and own abilities that I want to take you to a place that is beyond that. So I'm taking you to a desert where there is no food, where you have no supply, but I will supply you. What does that teach the people? It teaches them that they need God. It teaches them that he is there. But in Deuteronomy 8, it says this, he did that to teach them this, that man does not live on food, on bread only, but he needs every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, life is more than just sustaining our bodies with food. Life is found as we receive the word of God. So, you know, this, this book, people can say, like, oh, we've got a family Bible. It's been in our family for generations and it's collecting dust on the top shelf. It's no good. This book is for now. This book is for my life today. This book is living and active, as I hope to show you this morning. So the Bible itself, the Bible, two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. 66 books, individual books within those two sections. It is written or was written in two major languages, Hebrew and Greek. It contains different types of literature. And by that I mean there's poetic literature, there's prophetic prophecy, there's wisdom literature, there is narrative, historical narrative, telling us about things, there's gospel literature, there's letters, epistles, if you call them that, uh, that are within there. There's lots of different types of literature. And when we look at all that literature and this book, we know that it was written by many different people. There are people like Moses, David, Solomon, People like Isaiah and Jeremiah, people like Matthew, Mark and Luke, people like Paul, people like Peter, people like John, just to name a few of them who have written. So this book is a very strange book. And here we are proclaiming that this is God's word that is being revealed to his people and yet it is coming in all of these different types and different ways and over different number of years that it was, uh, had, this revelation has occurred, and it's been written by a number of different people with different styles of writing, it comes to us to have a comment which many people would comment, and this comment is this. How can this be God's word? Because they're thinking about all of those things. 
All of the different ways that it's come. How can this be God's word? And we want to just look at that comment a moment. Because we want to have confidence in what this word is about. There's two scriptures that we want to look at. First of all, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's on the screen. All scripture. Scripture is what? Another name for Bible, for the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. That is, you breathe into something, his life has come from that source. God is the source of all scripture. And the second verse we have is 2 Peter. Above all you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture, no prophecy that is written down in here, ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No. These prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. You see, these Scriptures are telling us about how this book came to be. This book, yes, was written by different men, over a number of different years. They wrote in different styles, but they wrote in a way, after the Holy Spirit came upon them, God breathed on them, God spoke to them, God told them, this is what I want you to write down, and so they wrote it down. God spoke his word through human beings, so that they could then be inspired by him to write down the word of God for us. So it's God's word revealed to man, written down by man, but the inspiration comes from the Holy Spirit and from God himself. That is what this book is. God is the inspiration. God is the revelation. God is the truth behind it all. But he is using men and women to be able to be the vehicle through which that word has come and the the way that that word has been preserved. But here's another comment that a lot of people make. They say, when I read the Bible, I don't understand a lot of it. Is that something that any of us would feel? What I would feel. When I read the Bible, there are some parts which I understand, yes, easily. There are many other parts where I read it and I have a question. And the question is this, what was all that about? I don't understand. So actually, there is a comment that's made by many people. And again, how do we deal with this? Well, the problem is about who we are and about who God is. Paul said that he was not ashamed of the good news about Christ, because he said it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, the Jew first and the Gentile second. The good news tells us how God made us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith, Paul said. The gospel is by faith, believing is by faith, and it says, as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person will live. There's no point in us being in church and not talking about the fact that we need faith to believe in God. Faith is believing in what you cannot see. Okay, that's what it is. 
It's not stupid. It doesn't have, it's not that it doesn't have foundations. It has very relevant foundations. God has declared as we look at all creation, it is revealing who he is. You've only got to go and look at a beautiful flower, a view, not even a beautiful, look at flowers, look at even the dandelions that are in your grass. There's still something that's wonderful about them because they are fearfully and wonderfully made just as we are. And all of that declares to us there is a God. There is somebody who is greater. There is a creator above all things. You see, so it's not that this faith is just without any substance, but nevertheless it takes faith. And you know what? When we come to the Bible, we're talking about we want to have faith and believing that this God of truth is there and that he is going to speak to me. That's a statement of faith. It just says that we believe the earth and the heavens and the earth were created by God. That's a statement of faith. We make many statements of faith. People who don't believe still make statements of faith. So it's not a weird and wacky thing, but I'm just saying to us or underlining to us, first of all as Christians, we need to remember that we are a people of faith, that we're putting our trust in something. We're putting our faith in Almighty God. Now the good thing is, as we put our faith in God and as we walk with him, we will find that he proves himself to be faithful. So there is a sense in which God himself, by the work that he does within us, the encouragement, the blessings, the the things that he unfolds in our lives, we can see the hand of God upon our lives. And that in itself is a testimony to us that he is alive. So faith is not blind faith, but nevertheless there is the need for us to take faith. So let's not forget in all of these things the vital part that faith has. But what we need to remember is, when we're trying to say, why is it that we don't understand? Well, it's this. It's because God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. We keep trying to be God. We keep trying to make ourselves God. We keep trying to do the things that only God can do. And that's why we often get in a mess. But God's ways are higher than our ways. In Isaiah 55, it says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And it's just, it's really saying, guys, let's get things in perspective. Okay? God's up here and we're down here. If we can just get hold of that, that's all God is saying to us. And when you think about it, He who knows how to put the stars into space and to hold them there, he's obviously got a touch ahead of me, certainly. I'm not sure how that happens. So I'm going to submit to that and say, I recognize that. Now, can we have that same thought when we come to read the Word of God? Why is it that I do not understand all of it? Because God hasn't revealed all of it to me. And he likes to reveal it in an unfolding way. But this I know that as I take hold of his word, he will speak to me and he will speak to you. But there are passages that I still go to and I think like, I'm not really sure what this is all about. But some of you, you might not be reading the Bible and you might go home and pick it up and you might just think, well, I don't know, what is this list of name all about? What's all this about? There may be many, many more questions than you have, maybe than the person sitting next to you. Just trust this. God's ways are higher than your ways. But as you read this word, do you know what he does? He makes your ways his ways. He delights to take us up. 
He delights to instruct us and to teach us his ways so that we might understand him. But if we keep on saying like, God, I don't understand. It's okay, I don't understand. And you can ask him, help me, give me wisdom and revelation because that is his delight. But you know what it says? The fear of the Lord, he he confides in those who fear him. And so as we trust him, as we look to him, as we respect him, as we honor him, then God will release information to us and bring revelation to us. He sends his Holy Spirit and the Spirit is the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of himself. So God wants to give us knowledge and understanding. But so often we wrestle with this question. You know what Job, there's a story, a book in the Bible called Job and it's about a man who God tested. He was a righteous man. But in the story, and it's it's a good story to read, it tells of how Satan came to God and was saying, God, what about Job? And God said, okay, I'll I'll allow you to test my servant Job because he's such a great guy. And Satan says, well, you always put hedges of protection around him. So God takes off the hedge of protection and Satan comes and removes his family. He kills his family. And then God is still saying, but look at my servant Job. And the devil is complaining, ah, you've put a hedge of protection around his health. You're always doing things like that. So God says, okay, I'll take my hand off. I'll take my hand of protection off him and then you can test him. And so suddenly this sickness comes on Job. So Job loses his family, he loses his health, things are desperate. And then this, the rest of the book really is this story of how Job is trying to understand what has happened to him. And his friends come and say, well, you must have sinned, you've done this wrong, you've lived wrong. And Job, no, I haven't. I haven't. I've been righteous before God. I've been living before God. So this is this story. And various friends give him information and wisdom. Some is good wisdom, some isn't. And then at the end of the book, God appears. And God speaks to Job. And God starts saying, well, where were you when the mountains were formed? Where were you when the earth was created? How do you know how to put the limits of the sea? And God is just asking Job these questions. And Job comes to this point and says, you know, before I didn't understand, Now my eyes have seen you. I spoke of things too wonderful for me. Job just got to the point where he realized this, you know what? You are God. You are far greater than I am. I don't understand all of your ways. It's okay for us not to understand everything. The mindset that we are in says I must understand because then I can be in control. When it comes to God, we don't need to understand. He will reveal to us what we need to know. And he wants to lead us and guide us in that. So it's okay for us to pick up this and not to understand it. But I will tell you, if you pick up this with faith and you say God will speak, he will speak. He will speak. What? Not to you? No, to you. Because he loves each one of us. And he wants to bring his revelation to us. So those comments are just worthy of mentioning about just before we we press on a little further. James tells us to humble ourselves before God because if we humble ourselves, and that is saying, God, you are the one who knows all things. In due time, he will lift us up. So God, let's just trust in that as far as God is concerned. The Bible, no ordinary book is what I've said. This is not an ordinary book. It's far from ordinary. This book is living and active. 
living and active. Now, we don't normally say that about a novel. We might enjoy a story in a novel, and this has many good stories and makes interesting reading, but there is a whole other dimension to this book that goes beyond just a story. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, we read this scripture. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It is living and active. Different, uh, different translations use different words. The King James uses the word quick and powerful. Another translation uses the words living and effectual. And the NIV and others translate it as living and active. But what they're trying to get across is this, is that the book is alive. The book is alive. Actually, if you look at the word that is used in Greek, it's the word that we get energy from. And it's sort of saying, this book has energy. It has life about it. It has activity. It has power about it. This book is living and it is active. It has energy. It has strength. It has power to transform, power to change, power to give you life. That is what is found in this book. Oh, but it's just a dusty old black book that's left on the side. Yes, because you haven't understood that this is the word of truth from the God who has created the heavens and the earth. When we get the perspective of what the book is, we can start to say, this is no ordinary book. This is a book that is alive. This is a book that can give the life of heaven, the life of the creator to me, and I can receive that. This is no ordinary book. It is living and active. We read earlier that in Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. And there is that sense, you see, God has breathed into these words. God has said that his word will go forth and it will not return to him without accomplishing that for which it was sent. It is sent with the purpose of bringing transformation and of change to our lives. That is what it is there for. The Bible is not just informative and educational. The word has life about it. The Bible isn't just informative and educational. The Bible is incisive. It's that these words, they don't just educate us, but these words come and cut into us. It says that the word of God can divide. And it's like this surgeon's scalpel that comes to cut out the bad stuff. It makes an incision in the flesh. It goes down into us so the word of God can have that impact. That as you read it, you feel it's speaking to you. You feel it's, it's talking about your situations in life. Sometimes it's judging us. Sometimes it's telling us that, wow, we are in the wrong place. That attitude is wrong. That isn't the way to behave. It cuts through to us. And when it does, it feels the penetration of that word comes into our souls. This word isn't just a lively story that has some sort of interest to it. It is literally living and active and it can give us insight and wisdom and revelation about the way that we are. The way that we behave. You know that people let us down. And when people let us down, we often feel hurt, we feel frustrated, we feel sad. People leave things, they don't clear them up. There's a bit of a joke in the office about uh, 
coffee cups, when we have cups of coffee, whether they always get washed up, well, actually, not a bit of a joke. I have a bit of a moan, is the truth. And then I think, like, as I'm putting mine left on the side, I think, I can't do that. I've got to wash it up. But, you know, things, people do things in life, and they frustrate us, and they get on top of us. Sometimes they make us angry, and sometimes, as we stop to think about what that's happening to us, we realize that the way that we are behaving is not the right way towards them. We need to be compassionate. We need to be forgiving. We need to be releasing. It's not always what we enjoy doing, but we feel that. God's word, as we read it, he instructs us in his ways. You know, I, don't, I had a bit of a revelation this week as I was reading this. I was looking at Hebrew words. So there's the Hebrew word for law. And I always think, well, law, what does that mean? That means what, what God's commands. But you see, the understanding behind the Hebrew word law is guiding. It's the way. This is the right way to live. You know, when we hear the law, you just always have that sense of right and wrong. Shouldn't do this, should do that. It's sort of harsh. But that's not really what it's like. It's like, this is the way I want you to go. It's like somebody putting their arms around you saying, guiding you in the right way. Come on, folks, this is the way you need to go. This is the pathway you've got to walk in. That's what the meaning behind the word law is. A command is given as, this is what I want you to do. But the general understanding of law is that this is the way. So when you're looking at the first five books of the Bible, which are called the Torah, which is the word for law, is really saying to the Hebrew people, God is saying, I think this is the way that society needs to go to get the best out of it. But sometimes we read the laws, I don't like the idea of law, but I love the idea of being shown the way. Isn't that a big difference? So when you think of law, you think of the negative. But when you think of being shown the way, you think of the positive. God wants to show you the positive way to live. He wants to lead you into the way that is right. He wants to teach you a way that will establish you with life, with health, with strength, with blessing. That is the way that he wants to lead you in. And that is what he wants to do for us. The Bible is no ordinary book. It is a living and active book. Just a quick couple of other points. It is a torch in a dark world. One of the scriptures that we read in Psalm 119 is that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When we're living in a dark world, and by dark I mean when there is things that people are saying and doing and laws that are being raised that we don't like, there's a sense in which darkness encroaches upon us. Confusion comes. When there's darkness, there's confusion. You think, I'm not sure which is the way to go. Is this right? These people are saying this. What is the right way? When you start to feel like that, that's confusion. And darkness brings confusion. But what does God's word do? God's word is a light. And light expels darkness. Light causes people to be able to see the right way to go. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my pathway. goes on in that, in that particular uh, chapter of Psalm, Psalm 119, to say the entrance of your word brings light. You see, as we open the scriptures and allow God into our lives, he brings who he is. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's a declaration of him, it's truth. 
And therefore, as you are inviting his word into your life, guess what? You get the results of what he is like. It brings light into you. The Bible, no ordinary book, not only living and active, but it is a torch in a dark world. And in a dark world, we certainly need to have God's light. Thirdly, it is a sword to fight with. It says in Ephesians that we have to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is your sword. And we talk of Christians being in a dark world, but we talk of Christians being in a battle for good and evil. There is a constant battle going on around us. If we do not have the Word of God coming into our lives, then we are not availing ourselves of the weapon that God has given to us. This is the sword of the Spirit. And that is why there is power in declaring the Word of God, in speaking it out, in saying scriptures that God is my refuge and my strength in times of trouble. I'm going to uh, hold on to him. He is my strong tower. We, We declare these things when we're in need because it strengthens us and establishes us with who God is. We have a sword to fight with. And fourthly, we have the word to live by. Timothy says this, or Paul, when he is writing to Timothy, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Who correctly handles the word of truth. To correctly handle it, you need to know it. And when you know it, you also need to have guidance on how you use it. That's correctly handling it. And we as a people need to be those who live by the word and who know how to correctly handle the scriptures. As we heard earlier on in Deuteronomy 8, it tells us that people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And thirdly, in Psalm 119, how can a young man or young woman I think, how can anybody, how can any person keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And David writes this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word is living. God's word is active. God's word is powerful. God's word is truth. The only thing that we need to do is to take hold of it. When I was a Christian, I used to read the scriptures. I used to read the odd psalm. I used to read bits and pieces, mainly of the New Testament, reading about Jesus, reading about the things that Jesus has done, dipping into the Gospels, reading a section here, reading a section there. And it encouraged me. And I used to love the Bible. I used to mark in the Bible. I used to to do that, and I'd basically be reading the New Testament. And I'd find great encouragement from it, as I say, but I wouldn't necessarily be reading the whole of Scripture. It was in 1996 that I gave up working in the city of London and came to work uh, with Trevor Payne in in what was West Wickham Christian Fellowship when we we were first named West Wickham Christian Fellowship. So it was back then that I started working with Trevor, and it was shortly after I started working with him that I began to discover more about prayer. And I had an encounter where uh, I went to somebody's house and there was a guy from the Redeemed Church and he was talking about prayer in Nigeria and how they pray. 
and he was saying they pray all night. I can distinctly remember it, and I went and had a cup of coffee with him, or during the break time, had a coffee with him, and I said, sorry, you, just, you mentioned that you pray all night. And I said, no, look, we English, we pray. I said, we pray? Uh, just, can you tell me a little bit more about this all night, Clark? <laughs> so I said, we pray, but this all night. So he talked about that, and he was saying, like, what they do and how they have some teaching and how they'd be praying in tongues uh, a lot during the night and things like this. So I said, oh, that's very interesting. The following uh, week when I was at work, I took aside half an hour and I just prayed in tongues for half an hour. I'd, not, I'd prayed in tongues before, but not, as it were, by the clock. So literally, it was like, okay, it's now, let's say, 11 o'clock, I'm going to go to half past. You know, and I, I was praying in tongues. I looked up and, wow, it's two minutes past. And... <laughs> And I had another go, and I, I was sort of like praying. In the end, I watched the clock, and I was praying that the hands would move, as it were. <laughs> but when I'd done half an hour, just praying in tongues, I felt, it's like, wow, something, you can do this. And that, for me, was a change in my life. Now, I just as I said, started to come to work for the church, and that began to raise all sorts of issues about prayer. Prayer is essential for our lives. It's essential for our lives, but so is the reading of the Bible. And God is good because he teaches us these things. 2000, so after that episode, I, I then was finding out more about prayer. In 2000, I went out to Uganda to World Trumpet Mission um, Conference, Africamp, for the first time. First time for me to be in Africa. I went to Africa, and now I could see, okay, the Africans, they can pray. Yeah, they can. There is anointing upon the nation, upon the continent of Africa for prayer. I bless you, all of you who represent African nations here. We thank you for coming to help us and we embrace what you have. I mean that most sincerely because we need it. In fact, we need each other because there's some things like timing that we can give to you. But that's, we don't, we, we share these things with grace. We share them with grace. I went and I I was in the conference, and uh, John Melindy was preaching. I, many of you have heard this story before, but I'm telling it this morning for a reason. There was an encounter, because he'd been preaching. I can't remember a thing that he preached on. Okay? So that's just, even if you can't remember what I'm saying this morning, I know that God is able to do things, because after he preached, he started singing. He was singing in his own language, so he's singing in Lugandan. So I can't even understand the words that he's saying, but I know the song. As the song is being sung, in my heart the words are being spoken. Can you find a friend so faithful, is what I remember. Broke my heart. I wept and wept. And it felt like a, I'd been hit, as it were, by a train. I don't know what had happened. I just know something had happened. I can't put any other words to it than that. So I had this experience, and then I came back home, and obviously, we, that was 2000, some things were changing here. I took over the leadership of the church here in 2000. And we had John Melindy come over and speak to us as the church. In October 2006, he came to this church over a weekend and spoke. Uh, he was at home with us. He was staying at our house. I can remember on the, on the Saturday night, I was having a conversation with him in the kitchen, about reading the Word of God, and he was saying, you need to be reading the Word of God. So I was saying, well, what do you mean? How do you do it? So he started to talk about himself and the things that they had learned. 
And he was saying, like, you need to be reading the Bible 10 chapters, 20 chapters a day. So I was shocked. But I listened to him. And he told me his story about how he had been told this. And how as you read the word of God, this word is living and active. And this word starts to write itself on your heart. But you cannot find that if you don't read it. You cannot find that coming into your spirit if you don't take it on board. But I used to read one chapter, or I used to read these verses, and I'm not pushing that to one side completely, but I'm saying this, this word is living and active. This word is God's truth. And although it's put forward in many stories, it's not as though God has written page one, these are the instructions you will live by. You will do this. You will do. It doesn't, it's not like that. It tells the story of men and women who didn't know the way. It tells the story of people who sinned and rebelled against God. It tells the story of people who get lost and have fallen by the wayside and messed up. But it tells the story of a God who loves and a God who cares and a God who forgives and a God who redeems and a God who releases and a God who empowers. It tells that story and we need that story written upon our hearts. And as I heard John talking to me in my kitchen, that was when I started reading the Bible through and through and through. And on that Sunday, John preached a message in the church and he came back and he preached on the Monday evening. And when he preached that Monday evening, he preached and the people who are here would have been changed by that message because he preached about us needing to read the Word of God. And I can tell you, that message had power and authority and it brought transformation to us. Those of you who were here and heard that message I can almost guarantee all of you have been reading the Word of God since that time. It changed the way we looked at it. So what are you saying to me? Well, I haven't got time to read the Word. You're probably right. You know what my answer is? You have to make time. Simple as that. You can't, there's no nice way of saying it. You have to make time. Throughout that period of time from 1996, even to today, there is one challenge in my life. I need to make more time for God. It costs. I get up early in the morning so that I can make time. But you know what? I can't stay up late at night. You can't do both. I've tried this way. I've tried that way. I've tried every way. There's one thing I know. If you keep away from this, the devil wants to get hold of you. Because as Moody says, either the Bible will keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from the Bible. There's no shortcuts we need to read this book. What is this book? This book is the revealed truth of the living God. This book will instruct us in his ways. This book, we're not going to understand everything, but he can bring revelation to it. This book is life. What about me? I find it difficult to read. I'm dyslexic and I can't understand. I praise God for technology that actually puts this book into words that you can listen to. But this is what I would also say. As you read this, God can also heal you of those problems. Amen. He can bring transformation. Let's never stop believing. My reading ability, I don't want to confess this, I didn't used to read books as a youngster. I like information, but reading was never really one of my things. And I've even found now, do you know what? My spelling has improved. Well, it has. I mean, you know, I mean, you might not believe it. I, I know that. It's some, it has improved. 
My ability with words has improved. My ability to read has improved. Why? Because I've been reading the Word of God. And He brings life because this Word is living and active. The challenge that I want to bring to every one of you this morning is what position does this book have in your life? And I want the Holy Spirit to bring His Word to you. Because either you're taking hold of this if you, if you devour this book, devour means you read it from cover to cover, cover to cover, cover to cover, cover to cover. You read it all. The entirety of God's Word, you read it all. Many Christians haven't even read the Bible through once. This is God's instruction book for life, and it brings life to those who read it. The reason the church in the nation is going downhill is because people haven't taken hold of the Word of God and read it because this Word transforms. This Word reveals. This Word puts its knife into you and it cuts away the rubbish and it brings new life to your very insights. This book is living and active. And this book is the revealed Word of God, His Word of truth that is spoken to our hearts.